Welcome to Aging Disgracefully, a weekly oddcast of seriously funny and sometimes raunchy monologues. I'm Carolyn Meyer, and have I got a story for you. Stay with me now for episode number six, The Killer Chef. I don't fear death. I fear being moved into an assisted living facility where the cook is someone like my mother. I imagine my mother's standbys turning up in the dining room at Happy Valley Retirement Home. Tuna noodle casserole, Velveeta, Ritz crackers, fruit cocktail from a can, Jello. My mother doesn't like to cook. She has no interest in food. The only spice in our kitchen cabinet is cinnamon. Preparing a meal is a chore to be endured, like childbirth. But unlike childbirth, my mother endures it with a double shot of Seagram's. My mother's specialty is a dish she calls schnitzel, not ever to be confused with Viennese schnitzel, which is a veal cutlet dipped in egg and coated with breadcrumbs, sautéed in butter, and dressed with capers and lemon. Delicious. Schnutzel, however, isn't even close. My mother's schnutzel involves mixing spaghetti with ground beef and tomato juice, or maybe, if she's feeling creative, V8. Guess what we're having for Christmas Eve supper, my mother cries cheerfully when my family and I arrive for our traditional holiday feast. Schnutzel, my kids shout with far more enthusiasm than they ever show for my coquevin or boeuf bourguignon. My grandmother, on the other hand, was a wonderful cook. She just failed to pass the talent on to my mother. When I'm growing up in central Pennsylvania, my mother and dad and I often head to Mima's for supper. Her Pennsylvania Dutch pot pie is in what you might know as beef stew with a pastry lid. Mima's pot pie isn't a pie at all. It's a hunk of beef boiled with onions and potatoes and Squares of pie dough that are somewhere between a thick noodle and a flat dumpling. Or she feeds us chicken and waffles. The chicken mixed with gravy and served on top of a waffle. No relation to the current craze for fried chicken with a side of waffles doused with maple syrup, which is very un-Pennsylvanian. On New Year's Day, Mima always serves pork and sauerkraut to ensure our family's prosperity in the coming year. All forms of chicken are forbidden that day. Even eggs are frowned upon because a chicken scratches backward and a pig roots forward. The pig is a symbol of prosperity. Never mind that he'll eventually end up as bacon. September 29th is another day for ensuring prosperity. Known in central PA as Goose Day, September 29th was traditionally the date when quarterly rents were due to the English landlords. But when my ancestors, German farmers, arrived in Pennsylvania, they paid their rent in geese or whatever else they raised. Observance of Goose Day has spread from my hometown, Lewistown, throughout central Pennsylvania. There's a 10K Goose Day race. A four-mile Goose Day parade starts at the downtown square. And as a grand finale, the annual Goose Ball is held at the local Holiday Inn. 
We Pennsylvanians know how to party. Because my mother doesn't like to cook, she assumes that I'll eventually learn somehow. My seventh grade cooking teacher is taught by the same gray-haired lady who teaches the girls' sex education class. The class begins with peeling an orange. The cooking class, that is, not the sex class. Eventually, I do develop the necessary skills, but it's pretty hit or miss. Again, we're talking about cooking, not sex. Although developing the skills for sex is also kind of a hit or miss proposition. That's a story for another time. After my junior year in college, I spend the summer in Europe, supposedly studying French. And I discover French cuisine. By the time I get home to Pennsylvania, I've stopped drinking milk with the coco vin I've learned to order in a French bistro, and I've acquired a taste for wine. I have also acquired European table manners. My mother is appalled when I show off the continental style, fork in the left hand, knife in the right, and no switching back and forth. You eat like a farmer, my mother snorts indignantly. Knowing how much it irritates her, I persist. Only chopsticks would annoy her more. After college, I moved to New York City to seek my fortune. I answer an ad in the New York Times and move into an apartment with Simone, 35-year-old French woman. Simone doesn't do much cooking. She's always out doing exciting things, ordering pâté and quiche Lorraine and cozy little French cafés, washing it down with vin rouge. Simone introduces me to her friend Jimmy, with whom I quickly fall in love. To win Jimmy's heart, I serve him a mother's signature schnutzel. It's the only thing I know how to cook. Jimmy, who has a degree from the Sorbonne in Paris, marries me in spite of my schnutzel and buys me a French cookbook for our first Christmas. I set about mastering the croissant, those wonderful crescent-shaped rolls, rolling out the dough, smearing it with butter and folding it, chilling it, rolling it out again, buttering and folding, rolling and chilling, over and over. All that buttering and rolling and folding produces flaky golden croissant, but it cannot save this marriage. Next, I marry a man from Czechoslovakia, as it was called in those days. Sour cream and bacon fat replace butter. My new husband buys me a Czech cookbook for our first anniversary. Now it's knedliki to be mastered, dumplings the size of a shoe dropped into a pot of boiling water. My mother-in-law's knedliki are so light they float, so delicate you must use a thread to slice them. My size seven and a half bead dumplings sink like hiking boots, and eventually that marriage sinks too. Food has traditionally been a means of seduction, especially apples. For example, Adam and Eve and the apple, and as a handy murder weapon too, witness Snow White and the evil queen and the poisoned apple. But apples aren't the only possible murder weapon. John, a midlife candidate for the role of husband number three, 
has cautioned me that he is deathly allergic to onions, mushrooms, and garlic. Now, I consider those three ingredients absolutely essential to good food, not as potentially fatal, but, always eager to please, I cook without them for John, and I win his heart, or I am under the impression that I have won his heart. But I am wrong. Just weeks before the wedding, John announces that he cannot go through with it. I prepare one last meal for him, and I make sure to sneak in as much onion, mushroom, and garlic as I possibly can. I don't want him to die. I just want him to feel as miserable as I do. He eats the last supper I fixed for him. I wait anxiously, a little fearfully, for the onions, mushrooms, and garlic to take effect. It could be attempted murder, I guess. But nothing happens. John survives with no apparent ill effects, and we go our separate ways. By the third time I've said, till death do us part, this time to Tony, a native New Mexican, I have been introduced to and traumatized by chili, peppers that come in two colors, red and green, and range from hot to incinerating. Eventually, I acclimate, enjoy, even become addicted to chili. For my birthday, a few weeks after our wedding, my new husband presents me with a tortilla press. I conquer corn tortillas and move on to the flour variety that you roll out with a rolling pin. And from tortillas, I broaden my repertoire. I become the conquistadora of quesadillas and enchiladas, even sopapillas. I move on to the comida of Spain and master gazpacho and paella and all manner of tapas. I mix a killer sangria. I become the queen of flan. But none of this, the coco vin or the canedliki or the quesadillas, will be served to the inmates of the Happy Valley Retirement Home unless, when I've been trundled off to that assisted living facility, I manage to poison the chef and take over the kitchen myself. You can read this and other stories on my blog at funnycarolyn.com, but do come back next week for episode number seven, an interview with Lusty Banger, retired porn star. You don't want to miss that one. And be sure to subscribe. I'm Carolyn Meyer, and I'm aging disgracefully. Thank you.